you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk? The Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The song says, He heals me when I'm broken. Today's word is for those of us who can admit that we're broken. And we don't have it all together. Today's message is for those of us who can say that we are sick and we need the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the Bible reads, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now to the very last verse of the book of Habakkuk, verse 19, down to the final sentence where the prophet says, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So the prophet begins the book speaking of a burden and he ends speaking of a song. So today I'm going to entitle this message From a Burden to a Ballad. From a Burden to a Ballad. As we will see today, the prophet of God had a lot of questions. As we will see today, the prophet of the Lord was dealing with a lot of internal pain and struggle and strife. But as we will also see today that God is a balm in Gilead, that God is able to meet us in our pain and transform us whether things around us change or not. He meets us and he can even give us a song out of the pain. As a matter of fact, some of the best songs that have ever been written have come as a result of walking through a laborious situation. For instance, one of the great hymns of the church, It Is Well, was written in the 1800s by a man who experienced tremendous loss and heartache. This man was an ordinary parishioner, if you will, who loved to serve in his church. He happened to be friends with the great D.L. Moody. And so as he lived in Chicago, he experienced 
great wealth. He was an investor. But there was a fire that occurred in Chicago in 1871, the great fire of Chicago. And because of that fire, um, he nearly went bankrupt, lost his assets and his holdings. But not only did he lose his fortune, but the man who wrote the hymn that we love to sing, It Is Well, also lost his son. His son died. And in order to recover from the loss of his son and his fortune, he wanted to take a break and get away with his family. So he sent his wife and his four daughters away by boat to a particular location for the family to spend time together. And he would follow later because he had work to do in Chicago. And uh, he came to find out through a telegraph that a Navy vessel had struck the boat, causing the boat to sink. And when he found out through the telegram, it was from his wife, and she said, alone, safe. Alone, safe, meaning that she alone was the only one who was safe and his four daughters passed away, drowned at sea. So as he went to be with his wife, he too traveled by boat. And the story is told that when he met up with his wife and they looked out upon the sea, he was able to say, when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul now you can't fake that In place of insurmountable loss you can't fake that kind of peace and that kind of hope, that kind of stability, that kind of joy. But yet we benefit off of this hymn when we're going through what we go through, not knowing what God sent the author through to pen such a poignant song. And that's how God operates. He can turn a burden into a ballad. And a ballad is a poem or a song that tells a story in short stanzas. And it can be either slow or even fast because some ballads, according to musical history, can even be danced to. And so today we're going to see that God gave the prophet who had a burden, he gave him a ballad. Habakkuk's name means to either wrestle or embrace. Habakkuk, the Hebrew name, means to wrestle or embrace. And as the last minor prophet to Judah before her fall to Babylon, Habakkuk wrestled with God for two chapters. Wrestled with him. And as we'll see in a moment, that his wrestling manifested as him asking questions about God's ways 
So he wrestled with God. Habakkuk wrestled. But by the time we get to the end of chapter 3, the man who was wrestling with God is now embracing the God he wrestled with. And I just stopped by today to encourage people who are wrestling with God. You don't understand why he's doing what he's doing in your life. And it's caused some of you to even want to give up on him. And as we sing about how awesome he is, you're sitting there saying, can I really believe this because I've been in my situation for a long, long time. And I'm tired. And I'm weary. And I'm about to give up. I haven't seen him answer my prayers yet. What I want to let you know that you're not by yourself because the prophet, the preacher, had his own issues that he was wrestling with. As a matter of fact, let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. We see the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. What was that burden, that thing that weighed heavy on him? Well, let's look at verse 2. Out of this burden comes some questions. And the prophet says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Stop for one second. You been there? I've been praying. I've been asking for help. But Lord, how long will I cry out to you and you not hear? Now, we know that the Lord hears. But what he's saying is that you haven't answered what I'm talking to you about. But why is the prophet burdened and why is he crying out to God? He says in verse 2, even cry out to you violence and you will not save why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention that arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. He's saying there's violence out here in these streets. There's injustice out here in these streets. I'm seeing all of this perversion out in these streets. Your law, as he says in verse 4, is powerless. And it's a Hebrew word that means that the word, the word, the law has become paralyzed to the point where it's numb. Meaning that the people are numb to the word of God, to the law of God. The law is powerless to the people. They're numb to God's word. He says there's blood in the streets of Jerusalem. Because people are killing one another. And the prophet, as he watches the evening Hebrew news, and he sees one negative story after another negative story after another negative story, and he's crying out to God saying, God, how long will you let this go on? We're supposed to be your people. We're the head and not the tail. But we're acting like we don't even know you. How long are you going to let this go on? I'm tired of seeing all of this destruction and decay in my community. Why do you keep showing me iniquity? Why do you cause me to see trouble? I have a burden, Lord. The wicked are surrounding the righteous. 
There's no justice. What's justice? Doing the right thing for all the people all of the time. But injustice is doing the wrong thing for some of the people most of the time. And he's like, there are people probably because they're poor who are being mistreated in the courts. God, don't you see what's going on? Well, the Lord replies to this minor prophet with a major message. He's a minor prophet not because what he has to say is minuscule. No, he's a minor prophet because the length of his book is smaller compared to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel and Ezekiel. No, it's a minor book, but it has a major message, and the Lord has to reply to his preacher. We see in verse 5, God says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Strong Tower, let me talk to you. The brother has a question. God, where are you? Why are you letting these bad things happen to your people? I know that we're tripping here. I know we got to get ourselves together. God, we need some help from you. And so God responds by saying, yeah, I'm going to help you. And I'm going to help you by raising up the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians. And I'm going to send them so that they might persecute you so that you can get your eyes back on me and off of idols and off of one another. Wait a minute, God, that's not how I wanted you to answer my question. And God tells him, I, I know what I'm about to tell you is going to trip you out because he says, you wouldn't even believe this thing, even if it were told to you, that I'm going to use an ungodly nation to get my people who are the apple of my eye in order. And so the preacher, the prophet, has another question to give to God. And it's found in verses 12 through 17 and he basically says to God, um, you are too right to ever do anything wrong. Your eyes do not look on evil, so why in the world would you use a godless nation to persecute your people whom you have chosen? In other words, Lord, I know that we're bad, but they're worse than we are. And part of the problem is when you compare yourself to other people rather than to God, you'll have a way of trying to one-up other people. And that was Israel's problem. They had fallen away from God. And so God had to get their attention. And so the prophet is like, now, Lord, why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? In other words, the wicked Babylonians are going to devour us. And then the prophet has the nerve to say in chapter 2, because that, that don't sound like you. That sounds like a contradiction. So he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. In other words, God, I, I, I got to hear what you're going to say about this. Because this doesn't seem like it matches who you are. So here we are today, and some of us have questions. 
God, how long is it going to be until I get a job? Lord, how long is it going to be until I get out of debt? How long is it going to be until I get healed in my body? How long is it going to be until I get a spouse? How long is it going to be? How long is it going to be? How long is it going to be till you come through for me? And then when God does something that you don't understand, now you're wondering, wait a minute. This doesn't match up with what I read about you, what I know about you. And the prophet had questions and so God says, uh, I have a reply for you. Verse 2. Oh, the Lord answered me and said, in chapter 2, verse 2, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. What's going on here? The prophet says, this doesn't sound like God. He's going to use the wicked to punish his people. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait for him to answer me. And God shows up and he says to the prophet, whose job is to obey, to speak God's words and not his own words. And he tells the prophet, I didn't ask for your opinion on this. I'm going to give you my command, write the vision. Make it plain. What's the vision? The vision is I am going to use Babylon to persecute Judah, the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom who never learned anything from the northern kingdom when the northern kingdom was persecuted by the Assyrians. So write the vision. The method has not changed. I'm going to get my people where I need them to be, which is dependent upon me, so I've got to take some privileges away from them because they're misusing their freedom. So Jeremiah, who's a contemporary of Habakkuk, he was the one who preached that there would be a 70-year captivity in Babylon. The people didn't want to hear that because Jeremiah said, look, if you want this thing to go well with you, don't resist the Babylonians, submit to them. And the people thought that he was committing treason. Habakkuk comes along and God says, I'm not going to change the word to make you sound better or make the people feel better. The word is still the word. Write my vision. Judgment is coming. Now, pause. I know a lot of ministries use this passage. Write the vision. Make it plain. Let everybody see your church's vision. Your ministry's vision statement should be simple. A few words. and all. That's not what's going on up in here. Write the vision. The vision is going to be one of destruction. Though it tarries, wait on it. So he may have been given this word in 607 B.C. And by 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar is going to send his first troops to go in and surround Judah or Jerusalem. So it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Though it tarry, oh, it's going to happen. And then he says in verse 4, behold the proud. Who's the proud? The Babylonian is proud. He's going to say that again in verses 5 on, how proud the Babylonians are how idolatrous they are. But not only were they proud, but the reason why all of this stuff is happening is because the Hebrews are proud. You can only walk with God when you're humble. But they are proud. 
The same God who warned them. Now, when I bring you to this land of milk and honey, don't forget me. When you start drinking out of these wells you didn't dig and living in these houses you didn't build, don't look at your blessings and all of a sudden forget me. Because I know how to get your attention. Because if you're trusting in stuff, I'll take stuff away from you to get your focus back on me. Because I'm a good, good father. We don't want that father. But because he's our father and because he loves us, he loves us enough to discipline us and take some stuff away from us to get our attention and to cause reform to happen in our lives. You can't be a good parent and you never discipline your children in love. Sometimes you got to take some privileges away from them. Sometimes you may even have to use the rod on them. And if God did it with his nation, and if he does it with his church, we should do it with our children as well. In love. So some of y'all need to calm down before you go in their room. (laughs) He said, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's it, right? That's such a powerful statement. Simple yet powerful. But the just shall live by his faith. His faith in God, who even when he has questions and doesn't understand God's ways, he is still going to trust in God by his faith. You know, Paul loved this verse from Habakkuk 2.4. He quoted it twice in his writings, once in Romans 1.17 and another time in Galatians 3.11. Then the Hebrews writer came along and quoted this in Hebrews 10.38, that the just shall live by faith. Faith in God. Faith in God. So God's second reply to Habakkuk's second question was, write the vision. Judgment is coming. But the just or those who are righteous will live by his faith. His faith in who? His faith in God. And so the prophet goes to work, beginning in verse 5, where he pronounces a series of woes. Woes against Babylon. He speaks about Babylon's pridefulness, how oppressive they are, their violence, their immorality. And then he closes in chapter 2 by dealing with the fact that they worship idols. So the prophet gets on Behind the platform, behind the pulpit, he starts preaching woes. And woes means, man, y'all in trouble. Y'all in trouble. And then he talks about their idolatry. He says in verse 18, what profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. So they're worshiping idols. But I love how he says in verse 20 of chapter 2, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So there's this contrast. The ungodly, they're worshiping idols. But the Hebrews who need a revival need to recognize that our Lord is in his holy temple. 
and he has not been made by human hands. Because they would make these idols, but these idols would be mute or dumb. They could not speak. And we may say, man, they're sitting around worshiping these idols that they made. Well, if we're not careful, we do the same when we worship the idol of BMW. Or the idol of I got to have a gated home in Brentwood. There's nothing wrong with a BMW, nothing wrong with a gated home in Brentwood. But if all of your focus and attention and your resource and your strength goes to those things to, in order to have a certain status, that's called idolatry. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. And for the preacher who had been running his mouth with questions, for the preacher who had been asking God, where are you? Why are you? Why me? Why us? Why are you doing it that way? But the Lord is in his holy temple and let the earth be silent before him. In other words, shut your mouth. Because behind every question is a complaint in disguise. You're complaining. You're not trusting. You're complaining. Be silent. The Lord, all capital letters, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am that I am, is in his holy temple. And when I'm in my holy temple, what that means is you ought to honor me. You ought to worship me. The Lord is high above the heavens. Be still and know that I'm God. And so the prophet sees the Lord in his holy temple. And we see chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, now there's got to be some prayer going on. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. I saw the Lord. He told me to be quiet. Stop questioning him. Because as I'm asking questions, I'm really questioning him. But I saw his glory, and he's not like anything that the Babylonians worship. They worship God's small g that they create. But this is the Lord we're talking about. Be silent. And so... He's going to give us a prayer in chapter 3 in this final chapter. And this prayer is really like a psalm or a song. Because outside of the book of Psalms that has 150 songs, this is the only book that you're going to find the words Selah in. Selah means pause, chill, Think about what we just sang or what we just read or what we just wrote about God. And so in this psalm that he's about to give, which is really a prayer, because sometimes your song is your prayer. He's going to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a psalm because it says in verse 1 that a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. What is that? Had to look it up. It is a musical notation. One thing about people in suffrage is even those who can't read, they know how to sing. They know how to sing. And it would be songs, hymns, and spiritual songs that would get them through. So the prophet says, let me grab my instrument and start writing. My daughter, who is in New York, just made a song that's picked up by YouTube, not YouTube, but uh iTunes and all this stuff. And one thing we know is about Krista. When we would discipline Krista in high school, junior high, she would go into her room and grab her guitar and start singing the blues. 
she would go in there and start writing ballads and stuff because music has a way of allowing us to communicate our soul. So he says to God in verse 2, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Why? Because the Lord is in his holy temple. Be quiet. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In other words, the work of Israel, what you started when you called Abraham, Lord, revive your work. I know we're heading for judgment, but Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Make it known. And then he says, in wrath, remember mercy. And that's why Jeremiah's word, that's why you got to have a couple preachers preaching. Because Jeremiah will come along and say, yeah, it's going to be for 70 years. But after 70 years, Babylon is going to be punished and Israel is going to come out of the captivity. So have mercy, Lord. Well, verse 3 says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, pause. And so in the next several verses, he's going to talk about the awesome might and majesty of God who came down as a result of answered prayer. He prayed, God came down. And God came down as God and not remade after man's image of what man thinks God should be. Because when God shows up, he's going to be God. He can't be anything else but God. And a lot of times we miss him when he shows up because he doesn't show up the way we think he should show up. But when he shows up, you see all kinds of things, flashes of lightning and, and pestilence and all kinds of stuff happening. And what Habakkuk is doing is he's recounting how the Lord created the heavens and the earth. He's recounting how this awesome God visited the Hebrews on Mount Sinai to give them the word. And when he gave them the word, remember there was flashes of lightning and thunder around the mountain, so much so where the people were afraid and thought that God was going to kill them. And Moses said, don't none of y'all break through and touch this mountain. Because God is here. He's not going to kill you, but you must reverence him. So he begins to tell the story about how God not only started the nation of Israel, but how he delivered them from the Egyptians. And he takes them through the Red Sea. And how he defeated all the enemies of Israel. And so it comes to verse 18 as I work to my close. Verse 16, rather. Habakkuk said, when I heard about God's power, his brilliance, his might, my body trembled. My lips quivered at his voice. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes to the people, he will invade them with his troops. In other words, when Nebuchadnezzar comes with his troops, he's going to invade the people. So the prophet has accepted the vision of imminent judgment because God is in control. And although he may allow you to ask questions and allow you and I to wrestle with him, we need to also be respectful of the fact that he is power, power. And the prophet says, I'm trembling right now. And so we see here a great response. And read with me in verse 17. 
Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Stop right there. He's talking worst case scenario. He's talking about what is going to happen after an invasion from the Babylonians. Because when a nation defeated another nation, they tried to stomp them out and off of the face of the earth. And they would destroy their water supply, destroy their crops, take all of their uh, herds. They wanted to annihilate them. And Habakkuk is saying, when the Babylonians come, because the vision will not tarry, it will come. When they come in two years, and they destroy everything, and they take everything, and the vegetation is lost. He says, I'm expecting the worst. Yes, yes, yes. But I got to read it to you one more time. Though the fig tree may not blossom, because they're tearing up our fields. There's no fruit on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food because their troops are camped all out over top of our crops. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls yet. I wish I could preach this right. Yet. Though I lose everything, though we lose everything, Though the worst thing that could ever happen to us happens to us yet. If we knew the power of yet, we wouldn't wrestle with depression and discouragement as much as we do. And I'm preaching to myself. Because yet is a shift. Yet means that something is going on in Habakkuk's spirit. Yet means Habakkuk is done asking questions. Remember, he started off, I got a bunch of questions for you, God. And I need you to answer them to my liking. But after he sees God's glory, who is high and lifted up, there's a shift in the spirit, and he says, yet. Yet means Habakkuk is ready to move on by faith. Yet means that Habakkuk truly believes that God is in control. Yet means Habakkuk is finished wrestling with God and now he is ready to embrace him. Some of us spend so much time wrestling with him because we're not getting our way. We're not getting what we want. But God is so good, he'll allow the wrestling match because in the midst of the wrestling match, our way and our will turns over into his way and his will. He lovingly pins us on the mat, mat of life. Let's us get all the kicking and all the screaming out of us. And we go from wrestling to embracing. Because I got to look at his nature and his power and his love and his care. But beyond that, I'm embracing the one who first showed me how to embrace in the first place. 
Because it's not just about me trying to grab him. He's already grabbed a hold of me. I can only love him because he first loved me. So I'm embracing the one who's already embraced me and I got to trust his embrace. Even when I don't know what's going on. Even when I don't like what's going on. I got to trust his embrace. And I got to embrace him back. A lot of my energy is pent up fighting the Lord rather than fighting for the Lord. Rather than fighting with the Lord. And the Habakkuk, the prophet says, yet. You see, yet means that you trust in God. That's what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Monday, I was struggling. Like the prophet, I had a burden. I'm looking at the news. I'm looking at politics. I'm looking at immigration bans. I'm looking at what's going on locally. I'm looking at what's going on globally, and I'm burdened. Monday's on my day off. I'm supposed to refuel. But Monday, I was struggling with discouragement and even depression. Then I fooled around and watched a movie Monday night that didn't help my spirit. Birth of a nation. Now I'm mad at white people. Not all white people, not all. I struggle into the staff meeting on Tuesday. Because I know I'm going to be with my brother and my sisters. And I begin to share my heart and how I'm hurting, how I'm tired. God, where are you? What's going on? What's up with this administration? God is crazy out here. And Pastor Jerry, as only he can, he says, Pastor, he doesn't fix it for me. That brother says, maybe time for you to read the prophets. So I went to the book. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. And I said, God, if you could get Habakkuk to a yet, you can get me to a yet. Because I don't understand what's going on, but the Lord says, but do you have a yet in your spirit? I know I'm over time, but I'm going to preach it. Kids got out late. You may get out late. There's no game on today. And even if there was, it doesn't matter. When there is a yet in your spirit, when there's a shift that has happened, you can expect from this text at least three things. Number one, you're going to get some new joy. Because he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Joy is inner stability, inner peace, and inner hope regardless of external circumstances. This is why joy is spiritual and happiness is material. Oh, I wish I had time. Joy is spiritual. That's why it's a fruit that comes from God. It can't be manifested in the flesh. But happiness is based on what you have. So if I have some good stuff, I'm happy. 
If things are going well in my life, I'm happy. If people like me, I'm happy. But when people don't like you and you don't have stuff and you lose your job and you have a miscarriage, you're not happy anymore. But that's where joy comes in. Because joy is not based on external circumstances. Joy focuses on God's person and his power. Joy is a focus. You can take away all of this stuff, and that's what Habakkuk was saying. You can take my fields. You can take my crops. You can take the olives. You can take all that. But guess what? You can't take my joy because you can't take my God. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. This is the kind of joy that allowed martyrs to go to the cross singing hymns and smiling because they knew that they were living for another world and not this one. Joy would have people marching during the civil rights movement saying, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. And they didn't care about the hoses or the dogs. They had someone inside of them giving them power and stability and hope that overrode the outward circumstances. And God is saying, that's where I got to take my preacher. Because if my preacher can get there, the people can get there. So the prophet said, uh, I got to get me some new joy. Because the word rejoice, I will rejoice in the Lord, means I will have joy again. Because joy comes on us. But joy can also leave us. And when joy leaves us, other kind of stuff begins to come right in with a quickness. Questions, discouragement, doubt, depression, suicidal thoughts, feeding your flesh. When your joy leaves, all kind of stuff is trying to come in. And that's why Habakkuk said, I got to have joy again. Oh, it reminds me when I would take my kids to a fair or a carnival. I'm not even sure if I took y'all to the circus, maybe the universal circus I took y'all to. And they would have those little necklaces that you could buy that were like lights. And sometimes they would have uh, wristlets and necklaces and, and they would shine and glow and they would be neon. So all the kids would want one of those. And you take that thing home and you go in your room and it's dark, but that necklace is lit up. But after a couple days, that light begins to fade. And then the kids look at the little bracelet that I spent $5 on and they want to throw it away. <laughs> Don't you throw that thing away. Well, it doesn't work anymore. No, 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 it works. Well, it's not glowing anymore. Well, the way that you make the thing glow, like when you first bought it, is that you got to expose it to some light. You got to even wrap it around the light bulb. Because the more light it absorbs, the ability for it to glow again comes back. So when I lose my joy, it's probably because I'm not embracing the Lord. So when I feel like I'm not bright anymore, when I feel like my joy is gone and I'm in my flesh, that's a call not to quit, but that's a call to get close to God. And when I get close to God, he rubs off on me, and he's the light of the world. He is the one who is the anointed one, and he gives me fresh joy. Habakkuk says, you're going to get some new joy. Yet I will rejoice, 
in the Lord. I've been talking about my circumstances long enough. It's time for me to talk about the Lord. It's in the Lord. You may get happy when you get another new this or another new that, but he says, I get joy again when I'm in the Lord. So Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, get your joy back again. This is real stuff. But not only do you get some new joy, you get some new strength. Because it says in verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. So when I have the yet and I begin to shift my focus on the Lord, I get my joy back, which means I get my strength back, which means I can get out of the bed on Monday morning. I can go to work. I don't have to yell at my kids because I'm at my wit's end. I got my strength back because I've been with the Lord. But not only do you get some new strength to go on, finally you get some, you get some new feet. He says in verse 19, he will make my feet like deer's feet. Because before my feet were like hippopotamus feet. I'm just dragging all around. I'm slow. I'm tired. I'm burly. There's no pep in my step. Yet when I got with the Lord and he rubbed off on me and gave me new joy and new strength. All of a sudden, I looked at my hands and my hands looked new. I looked at my feet and my feet looked new. Something happened on the inside where it was rolling over on the outside and it affected my feet. Hind's feet is deer feet. Deer have light feet. Deer have nimble feet. Deer have feet that know how to get by obstacles and, and even go around predators. Deer feet are quick feet. They leap, they dance, they prance. And so what he's saying is after God touches my spirit, my feet get touched. And now I'm bouncing all over the place. And so just like a great running back like Tony Dorsett or Herschel Walker, or any of the old school guys, it's about their footwork. And as believers, God is saying you got to get your footwork right. So when that lion is trying to get you, you know how to step to the side. Because your feet are light. And then he says, these feet will allow me to climb my high hills. In other words, I'm not at the bottom of the mountain. I'm at the top of the mountain. What is a mountain in scripture? It's an impediment. Something that's trying to stop you. Something that had the preacher down in chapter one. But now he's on top of it in chapter three because God did a work in his life. He's up on top of my high hills. My mountain. What's your mountain? What's trying to keep you down? What's trying to keep you under? What's trying to rob you of your joy and your hope in the Lord? God doesn't want that thing on you. He wants you on top of it. Amen. But he first got to give you some new joy, new strength, and he'll give you some new feet. How did Habakkuk change so drastically from chapter 1 to chapter 3? Whereas in chapter 1, he started off with a burden. But he ends chapter 3 with a ballad. He started off chapter 1 in the pit, but he ends chapter 3 in a peak. Yeah. 
He starts off in misery, but he ends up on a mountain. He begins the book with questions, but he ends with exclamations. He ends in discouragement, but begins in discouragement, but closes in a dance. I'm here to say to you, and I'm here to say to myself, Habakkuk chose to stop wrestling with God, and he chose to embrace God even when he did not understand God. Because God is going to be God, which is why the just shall live by their faith in God. I trust you even when it doesn't make sense to me. And in the meantime, I'm still going to bless you because you're worthy, and I'm not going to let anything or anybody take my praise from you. Love you, Lord. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Lord, you've taught me to say, I don't like it, I don't like this, but I'm still going to say, it is well with my soul. Would you stand with me, please? As Atarius comes to pray, if there's anyone that just wants to meet me at this altar to say, God, I choose today to stop wrestling with you and I embrace no matter how much it hurts, I embrace you and your will and your plan for my life. Lord, I pray you give me some new joy some new strength and even a new dance, new feet. If you want to pray with me, your pastor, meet me here at the altar.